Boom. All right. It is episode 43 of Solid 60. I am Patrick and welcome to the 4th of February in 2019. I'll just run through a few little things that's been going on that have been going on. Not much, basically. So I can't really bring too many exciting pieces of personal news to the mic. Don't fuck all, really, fitness-wise. Socially, let's see. Yep, not a lot. Hung out with some friends. Uh, saw both kids on Saturday, so that was good. Watched zero movies at the cinema. But it was a nice change. Got to run around with Lewis in the arcade. Blew like 70 bucks on games. Uh, but it was good times. Uh, a lot of basketball in one of those little ticket-giving machines that now goes on a little card. He wanted a fantail with his tickets, so that was cute. Uh, we didn't really have much enough for anything else. So that was... Uh, and all these bizarre pocket money type toys that are just such nostalgia blasts from my childhood like those little rubber they didn't even have a name there's just shelves and shelves and shelves of utter tat like complete plastic crap uh, so it's worth waiting till you have like 2,000 points god the amount of money you would have spent to get that many points um, but hopefully you know over the years we'll drop in and I can see it being a uh, place of fun for decades to come as long as they update the dodging cars are a bit crap. Every t- every time I go, the dodging cars seem A, slower, and B, not to last as long as the previous time. I swear, the next time I'm going to go in, put my token in, which is $5 each, uh, it's going to be like a five-second ride. Just get in and get out. Yeah, so not too impressed with that. They, they did have a new section, which was like a virtual reality room. Uh, they replaced the laser tag with it. It's $50 a turn, but you do get about half an hour of it. Uh, apparently they were using a Samsung headset. Well, the main advantage to just doing it at home is they've got an entire, it's a fair size, it's like a basketball court sized area, all taped up. So the VR system interacts with it and you're basically going through a house. A uh, haunted house, shooting zombies, all that sort of thing. So it looks fun, but $50 is a lot to lay down for uh, even for a 25 minute experience. So I put it off till the next time. Obviously, I won't be able to match it with anything I can get him. I know he doesn't have the VR set up yet for the PlayStation, but you do need some room for that. And I'm aware that he lives in a small apartment with his two brothers and his mother and some guy. That's all I'm going to say about that. But basically, there's not enough room to use it effectively. And that's the same reason I don't have one other than the outrageous cost. There's a spare room here. It's full of crap. Maybe we could use that. I think I'd really want a bigger room for it. I don't think the technology's quite developed yet either to the point where anyone can just start throwing it around and have it blow your mind. I have enjoyed it the, the few times I've put it on my head at different conventions and stuff, but I think we're still a couple of years away from it really being where it needs to be, the point where it, everyone needs to have it. But I'm looking forward to that, that's for sure. Uh, for now, I'll stick to the big screen with console games which I'm still battling through Skyrim I haven't touched it for a few weeks because uh, I keep telling myself I need to finish one of these podcasts before I can do that and I end up on Facebook all afternoon watching Star Trek most recently I finished The Good Place which is something I do maybe want to go through some interesting trivia on but for now I'm going to go back to an article I mentioned last episode which I didn't get time to read and it's about China weirdly it's weirdly political I'm not that political like was it someone else bill bird does do a lot of political stuff but he always prefaces it with it's always very jokey and he always immediately says look i don't know what i'm talking about i think this but i could be wrong so he doesn't bluster a lot there's a bit of hot air and he acknowledges that and i'm the same i can only read others words and 
roughly come down to a conclusion based on my limited life experience and education. But this is definitely disturbing stuff. We've all known that China has been a long time, uh, well, dictatorship's maybe too strong a word. There's a, definitely a, a group of guys at the top, and let's be honest, they're all men. At the moment, it seems the one dude in charge is really cracking down and giving himself almost like, I think it was a couple of years ago when he said, yeah, I'm basically leader for life. It is a lot of people to control, though, so obviously he has to, at some point, in some areas, parcel out power to a degree. It's not like Venezuela, where there's only 30 million people, and I think his name's Maduro. I saw a documentary on that the other day. ABC had to slip in some correspondence uh, pretending to be tourists. They even had a surfboard, and it's a pretty dire situation there. And it, a great example of how it can go wrong when you've got one guy in charge that doesn't know what the fuck he's doing or does and just doesn't care about the population. Whereas at least in China, I guess Bush in the early 2000s, he kind of meant well but still did made lots of really fucked up decisions. Not that he's a dictator, but he had a lot of power or at least enough to go into war and convince the Congress to follow him. Uh, apparently he doesn't need that. They can just declare war uh, president without any kind of real backing from Congress. But yeah, that was definitely a wrong-headed decision, even though at the time I kind of supported it because, yay, it'll be more cool movies. And to be fair, we did get, get Three Kings out of that and a couple of other series like Generation Kill. So all up i think it was worth it so this is china's going to be an interesting situation to follow north korea obviously more uh, extreme but it's so small and not really a player to be honest it's, it's kind of a sideshow to the main game the three big players where you've got obviously usa on the decline russia it's always going to be around just because of a the size and b the population and c their leader is even more of a strong man say than xi jinping Putin not as subtle. He just does what he wants. If anyone gets in the way, they're wiped out. And what can you say? They're, they're a big country. The GDP and economy is nowhere near as large as, say, even Germany. But they're a lot more willing to, let's say, no one holding them back from just doing what the fuck they want, like going into the Ukraine or Syria, or which is now wide open because Trump's pulled out and uh, Iran and Russia and everyone else can do whatever they want. Um, there's some arguments for that they never really should have been there in the first place yeah the way he did it was just a little bit like we're out bye with no real strategic uh, implementation of that so which has pissed off his generals and half the reason why Mattis resigned is his what do you call it secretary of defense uh, and they don't have one they didn't always have one apparently they haven't always been around chief of staff they haven't always had those he fired that guy too I don't think there's many left that aren't either in jail are about to be. So that's going to be the other interesting thing to see how that pans out once uh, 2020 comes around and he, this time, definitely loses the election and then where that's going to go. Will the next president pardon him if he gets convicted? Well, hopefully not. Uh, we've seen enough of that with Nixon. On to this article, which is long enough, so I've been not just waffle all day. Though I do feel some guilt about just reading something straight off the page. So I might stop now and then to uh, give my interpretation. It's written by Tracy Shelton and Bang Zhao. So I'm not going to completely um, rob them of any credit on ABC, of course, because uh, it's free. There's Thank you, Australian government. Uh, for the moment, they're paying their staff, unlike BuzzFeed and Machinima and so many other media organizations huffing to post, calling you out, that just... Uh, sacking people en masse which is weird with Huffington Post I didn't think they paid anyone at all 
So clearly, uh, whoever was still getting paid, rest in peace. It's just a fucking mess. Yeah, and uh, like philosophically, I can't really be upset about paywalls. It's just a little frustrating when you see a link or an interesting looking article thrown up on Reddit or on Facebook and you go to read it. It's like, yeah, no, you're going to have to throw in some serious money here uh, to actually read it. And fine, if there was only two or three news sites out there, fair enough, that would be affordable. But there's literally thousands. And so at what point do you stop throwing a dollar or two dollars to each one every week or two? Uh, it'll add up pretty quickly. So, And that's the problem with uh, what's happening now with Netflix and everyone else. There's just, they're all popping up. And how many can you justify having? I think for me, standard Netflix at the moment is more than enough. Amazon was just going to, was a bridge too far. Back to this freaking article. Uh, let's go with a bit of a headline. It's not a... It doesn't roll off the tongue, but it captures, I think, the main point. It was published nearly a month ago now, but I think it's still pretty relevant. China disappeared several high-profile people in 2018, and some of them are still missing. From prominent celebrities to the Interpol chief. Like, they don't care. They'll just take anyone. The world has seen millions of people in China seemingly vanish into thin air over the past few years, and yet the international community has remained largely silent. After taking power in 2013, Chinese President Xi Jinping introduced new laws that essentially made arbitrary and secret detentions legal under Chinese law. I guess a bit like their version of the homeland security. Also, try not to tweet, or you can't tweet, or Facebook over there, but using their social media, don't even try and tweet, sorry, it just rolls off the tongue. Don't even try whatever the verb is over there for posting something about, say, Winnie the Pooh, because he apparently looks a lot like the leader, and so now he's been banned. Any mention of Winnie the Pooh, any mention of uh, Peppa Pig, uh, so many bizarre, like, unrelated things to politics have been pulled out of the discourse because uh, someone once made a joke using them about politicians, so that's it, they're just gone. Yeah, and other things such as anything vaguely related to Tiananmen Square, that's a big no-no. Yeah, so these complex laws, as well as exceptions that can be used to strip detainees of their rights on the grounds of national security, have been adjusted and expanded in recent years with movie star Fan Bing Bing, love these names, and gene editing scientist Huey Jan Kuei among the latest casualties. Okay, I wonder if that's the same guy that uh, recently used a CRISPR machine to create a designer baby over there, because I did hear about him on a podcast that was published well before this article so and i couldn't remember the dude's name obviously but hopefully they uh return back to whoever that was with more detail many countries are reluctant to call beijing out because of potential consequences michael caster a china researcher it's weird how i'm reading it i see the word researcher and then when i say it i just drop off half of it i don't know what there's a disconnect between my brain and my mouth and apparently there's a it's called red light something uh, where as soon as it comes on, I'm not seeing a red light here. I've actually got a blue light on this microphone because Rode likes to mix it up. Yeah, that definitely happens with me. So I'm going to maybe have uh, enough time, it'll smooth out a little. Anyway, this Michael guy, he said that while true numbers are impossible to calculate due to the secrecy of the process, he estimates numbers are easily in the several hundreds, in addition to upwards of a million Uyghur and minority group members. So yeah, millions is mostly just those Muslims up in the sort of borderlands of China, uh, whereas the hundreds are probably like normal Han Chinese or celebrities that, that uh, get a little bit too awkward for the government. He said those detained could be held for a few weeks, months or much longer. Occasionally, they don't come back at all. When they do come back, it's often to face court. 
He said most detentions include extreme physical or mental abuse, raising to the level of torture, with the main goal being to obtain a forced confession. But while Beijing has gone to great lengths to create a facade of legality, Mr. Caster said this kind of detention violates international law and the silence needs to end. I wonder if anyone has ever been prosecuted for an international law that was broken, since the Nuremberg trials anyway. Uh, there's too much hesitance to call out China for fear of economic or political retaliation. He said, adding that China has received very little to no international blowback. Of course not. They're the new big guy on the block. See, Russia's big, but their economy's fucked. Whereas China is big, has the most people, and their economy's a freaking juggernaut. And if you uh, try and mess with it, you're in trouble, as Trump found out recently with his little trade war air quotes, which pretty quickly got nerfed uh, by China's threats. He said, this is the China expert, the condemnation needed to come from a united front within the international community and go beyond individual cases to challenge China on the institutionalization of arbitrary and secret detention and widespread use of torture. He's optimistic. One state alone might not be able to stand up to China, but in concerted international pressure on China, there is power to push back against the false narratives of China when it tries to manipulate and bastardize what the rule of law means. Maya Wang, a senior researcher for Human Rights Watch China, also urged foreign governments to put more pressure on Beijing and take a stronger stance on the whole ethnic Muslim minority Uyghur crackdown. She added that no one in China was immune to f being forcibly disappeared, whether they are a tycoon, a mega movie star or a bookseller. Here, we take a look at some of the most, most high-profile cases of individuals who vanished over the past year. And where are they now? Fan Bingbing, she's probably the most famous, even I know who she is, she was in uh, Chasing Christ, she was in Iron Man and the X-Men films. And she played a key role in most of China's films, uh, the propaganda stuff. But that didn't save her from being detained over alleged tax evasion. She's got 63 million fans on Weibo and they were shocked when the actress was quietly whisked away by Chinese authorities after a post emerged alleging she had signed split contracts, also known as yin and yang contracts, for the same job. An article from the state media Securities Daily in September said Fan was placed under control. Uh, that's very ominous. And reported she was under residential surveillance at a holiday resort in Jiangsu and had been transferred to authorities in Beijing. For more than 100 days, her whereabouts were unknown and neither Fan nor authorities made any statements. In October, she finally re-emerged on Weibo and admitted she had signed split contracts for a film and apologised to the country and its citizens. She's kept a low profile since and is occasionally spotted in Beijing where an entertainment firm is based. So it doesn't really explain the whole split contract thing, but basically over there, they try and maintain the facade of a communist country and they go, look, you can't have one actor getting paid more than another. So when you do your official contracts for all the actors, they've got to all get paid the same amount. But obviously you get some stars rising up the ladder. And so what they've done, like a sports team avoiding a salary cap, they just do another contract in the, on the down low and they still get their extra kick. Uh, it's just kept off the books, but obviously it got to a point, I think it had just been flouted too uh, widely and she was made an example of, and uh, we'll see how that pans out. They pick a female, they're not gonna pick some action star dude. Like, yeah, there's, there's oh, so much wrong with that, but what can you do? Three Canadians detained. Entrepreneur Michael Spivore, uh, former diplomat Michael Kovrig, that's in December, they got picked up. Uh, and that was after Canada arrested Meng Wanzhou, oh yeah, the CFO of Hawaii. Hawaii? <laughs> I'm going to have some trouble with the pronunciations, I 
So that was uh, the request of the United States, Canada arrested the CFO of Huawei. And that's like their version of Vodafone. And they've been accused of spying and installing sort of firmware on their devices that allows China to monitor people in countries all around the world. Uh, the Canadian government said several times it saw no explicit link between the arrest of Mrs. Meng, the daughter of Huawei's founder, and the detentions of Kovrig and Spavor. But Beijing-based Western diplomats and the former Canadian diplomats said they believe the detentions were tit-for-tat reprisal by China. Makes sense. Uh, Mr. Meng is accused by the United States of misleading multinational banks about Iran-linked transactions, putting the banks at risk of violating U.S. sanctions, while the two men were detained over suspicion of endangering national security. A third citizen, Sarah McIver, was detained. She was serving administrative punishment due to illegal employment, whatever that means. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had been under pressure to take a more robust stand on the detentions, but said he would not be taking any action. So they all remain in detention, except Miss McIver. She was released last week, and I'm guessing went home. Here we go, Chinese scientist Hei Jiang Kui. He shocked the world after he announced that he'd edited the genes of twin sisters Nana and Lulu. Right, so it is that guy. Hundreds of scientists, um, the Chinese government, and even his own university denounced him after using the technology known as CRISPR to alter the embryonic genes of twins in an attempt to protect them from infection, the HIV virus carried by their father. I didn't realize the father had it. That wasn't mentioned on the podcast. But basically, what they thought, the reason why he did that was because it was the easiest gene that scientists knew how to manipulate. It's just, it's not a matter of writing a new gene it's just a matter of deleting a gene that's that's already been discovered so it was like basically the easiest thing you could do that counted as a CRISPR experiment on a real human being and it's China so real ethics don't apply there's no consent needed he just went and did it an associate professor in Shenzhen oh yes this is Dr. Hay he defended himself at the human genomes editing summit in Hong Kong where he was last seen then he disappeared the following day, and the ABC has attempted to call him several times without success. While he's still not being seen in public, they've published photographs uh, of Dr. Hay in the New York Times standing on the balcony of an apartment on the SUST grounds in late December. So that's the Southern University of Science and Technology. Dr. Hay colli- Dr. Hay's colleagues confirmed his identity after they saw the photos. They reported he's safe, but he's believed to be under house arrest, guarded by at least 12 men. Well, they certainly don't have any lack of bodies over there to guard scientists. But I don't know enough about that situation. I would have thought China would have been all gung-ho about CRISPR editing and let's do more of it. Apparently there was a bit of an embarrassment about how that looked, given the ethics. I don't know, maybe that was too much for them. So I'll be following that, hopefully, uh, see some developments. Because I'm all, all for it, as long as China aren't the only ones making super people. Because that's where it's going. You have to, it'll be Gadiger all over again, which I do have to watch again. I like uh, Ethan Hawke, and I do remember enjoying it as a kid, so I might get more out of it watching it as an adult. We'll see. Former head of Interpol, so he was, wasn't the head at the time, and he's Chinese, Meng Hongwei, was living with his wife in France, returned to his native China in September. Mr. Meng, who was also China's vice minister for public security, was reported missing by his wife after he sent her a text of a knife emoji on the 29th of September. They since announced in China that he's suspected of bribery and other crimes, adding this investigation is partly due to him bringing trouble upon himself. Oh no, so he was the president at the time, but France-based Interpol since elected a new president. It's widely criticized for accepting a resignation letter apparently signed by Mr. Meng, 
but provided by Beijing. Yeah, it's all very dodgy. I mean, the president of Interpol, and I don't know how much power they have, especially being mostly based in France, but they're supposed to be the international police, so not a good look. They look pretty toothless right now. Sorry, you can have him, we'll just elect another one. An award-winning photographer, Lu Guang. His photo photography exposed the harsh realities of life for many in China until he was taken away, along with fellow photographer, who they haven't named. His photos, which have won awards, including World Press Photo Prize, tackled gritty subjects like pollution, industrial environmental destruction, issues traditionally avoided by the press because they risk punishment for exposing societal problems that the government may consider sensitive. Authorities who seized Mr. Liu have been at the forefront of a government crackdown on the Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities. Thousands have been allegedly sent to indoctrination camps intended to sever their commitment to Islam and nurture loyalty to the Communist Party, and authorities there have a well-known known intolerance for media. But Mr. Liu's wife, who has still not received any information, has said he has not planned to conduct any photography projects in the province. They just thought, hey, that's that famous photo guy, and got rid of him. Not cool, man, not cool. See, that's, that's what, I mean, that's more relatable to me, because I know photographers. <laughs> I know, they're all nice chaps. So, no explanation given, just see you later, in case you take a photo we don't like. Not cool, man, not cool. And this doesn't even mention the whole new Facebook slash Black Mirror style credit score system they've got going on. I still haven't got to the bottom of that, but either way, it's uh, very uncool. Now we go to Ink Splash Girl, Dong Yao Chong. Totally could have that wrong, but I'm going to roll with it. She disappeared on July the 4th after splashing ink on Mr. Z's poster to protest the Chinese government's mind control persecution. Okay. The 29-year-old was last seen live-streaming herself defacing the poster on Twitter before posting a photo purportedly showing police officers seen through an apartment peephole later on the same day. A month later, a video showed her father, Dong Jian Bao, confirming she was admitted to a psychiatric institution. He uh, said his request to visit the daughter was rejected and he didn't understand why his daughter's case was not handled by the police or the court, but by a mental institution. Well, considering she was going on about mind control persecution, she might actually be legitimately crazy, but in a country like that, where it almost seems like an Orwellian dystopia, that's not uh, too far from... It seems less crazy. Like, legit crazy people can slip through the cracks and activists can generally think they were... Hey... They're telling the truth because it's not that far from it. Anyway, high-profile church leader. This guy is uh, Wang Yi. Chinese authorities reportedly detained more than 100 members of an unregistered Christian church. Mr. Wang was one of the leaders who publicly criticized China's war on religion. He also made reference to the government's policies in Tibet, two particularly sensitive topics, Tibetan... I forget how to pronounce the X. I think it's Xinjiang. Enhui Kao, an early reign church member who is also a teacher at the church's primary school, told the ABC the raids could be a result of Mr. Wang's criticism of China's new regulations on religious affairs. The church announced on its Facebook page that Mr. Wang and his wife remain in custody. Um, other senior church members have been released, but are still being monitored. Basically, it doesn't sound like somewhere you want to live if you've got any amount of individual thought or willingness to stick up for the man. Just, uh, you'll get beaten down pretty quick. It looks like a beautiful country and I'm sure it's full of beautiful people but they've got a lot of issues right now that make Australia's nanny state look veritably sublime in comparison. China for now. I'll see if there's been any updates by just, I don't know, searching the website for China because there's no related news nearby. I don't know if I have to uh, log in 
No, you just type in the search bar, okay. You've got one from three days ago about Chinese military challenge in the Asia-Pacific. Asia That's a whole nother can of worms because there's a lot of, uh, yep, this is our island and five other countries are like, nope, that's ours, but who's going to say no to China? So they just wander in like they have with our, even the Australian Antarctic region that's officially Australian, but they've apparently got like five or six military bases set up there now. So yeah, good luck taking those back. At the moment, it's all ice, but the way things are going, who knows one day. Yesterday, so these aren't in order of um, most, oh, I'm going to change it to most recent. Right. Two hours ago, something about a violin concerto, so I don't need that. The World War One grenade was found in potatoes at a Hong Kong chip factory. Well, that's interesting. Hong Kong police detonated a German-made explosive they believe to have arrived in a batch of fresh potatoes shipped from France. Well, that's pretty fucking cool. Oh, there's that new uh, movie, China Love. I posted something on their Facebook page. It's about the Chinese wedding industry. Follow Australian and Chinese participants as they navigate love and family in the lead up to the most important ritual of Chinese society. Looks good. But yeah, I posted on their page and they were like interacting with me. And I was like, oh my God. The rest of the news I have is all like video game related, basically. But where are we at? Only half an hour. Okay, I can do one more. I'll just see what's going on. Yeah, there's some sad news in Sydney on the weekend. Uh, grandmother was left with the baby, one year old, was left in the car, it was 35 degrees, didn't end well for the baby. That was in Chester Hill. So my heart goes out to that family. It's just, I can't imagine the kind of pain they would be going through. And there's no point blaming or upset with the old lady. I mean, it just, it seems to happen and people lose their mind and forget. I still personally find it hard to believe that I would ever do that myself. I just, I don't know how that happens, but clearly people don't mean to do it. And it's just, it's tragic. So, on that note, let's move on to Nintendo, making it clear that <laughs> piracy is the only way to preserve video game history. By shutting down its Wii Store channel and not letting users download old games, Nintendo is once again showing that in the modern digital era, you don't actually own the things you buy. That's on Motherboard. I love this website. So, after more than a decade online, Nintendo will be shutting down the company's Wii Shop channel this Wednesday. Uh, so that was posted on the 30th of January. So obviously it's already shut down. On its surface, the company's move is easy to brush aside as a natural evolutionary demise of a service tied to an aging console. Especially given Nintendo gave customers plenty of time to spend any remaining Wii points long before the storefront was shuttered. But the day Nintendo pulls the plug should be a strong warning for those who care about video game preservation and any consumer who uses a digital store. We often don't truly own products, but we buy digitally. And when one of those digital stores go down, piracy is often the only way to preserve its history. As it stands, even after the store officially closes, Wii users will be able to download any past titles they've purchased and downloaded from the Wii Shop channel, provided they can fit them on either the Wii's internal storage or an additional SD card. However, Nintendo said that in a yet unknown point in the future, the company will close all services relating to the Wii Shop channel including the ability to re-download WiiWare and virtual console games, as well as the Wii system transfer tool, which transfers data and from Wii to Wii U systems. That means if the games users bought from the Wii Shop channel are not already downloaded, or if whatever storage device users put them on is destroyed, they'll lose them for good. Users could buy the games again from the Wii's virtual console, and they might be able to get them from Nintendo's new subscription service on the Switch, but they'll have to pay for it again. What sucks here is that Nintendo didn't build the infrastructure to allow people to support these games, says Frank. 
It might ind be indicative how new Nintendo was to the internet during the Wii era. Maybe they didn't build it with the future in mind. Uh, Nintendo haven't responded. The Wii Shop channel wasn't the first time Nint Nintendo allowed users to download games. Um, they had the satellite view offered downloadable content way back in 1995, but it was a good legal way to play many of the company's classic games. The Wii Virtual Console offered hundreds of games. At the moment, the Switch Online offers only 31. While Nintendo said it's going to expand this library, uh, there's no guarantee it will offer more obscure games like Clue Clue Land, which was available on the console, Virtual Console, and is still for sale on the Wii U Virtual Console. Will Nintendo keep offering obscure old games and spend money on hosting them if they're not going to turn a profit? I think the fact that you haven't seen so much obscure stuff tells you something about Nintendo's issues with less well-known games. Jafaldi said, that's Frank. In the digital era, companies increasingly pull the rug out from under products consumers may falsely assume they actually own, said Western law professor Aaron Perzanowski, whose last book, The End of Ownership, highlighted this problem extensively. Sounds like a good book. This situation is most reminiscent of Microsoft's decision in 2016 to shut down its Xbox fitness platform. Customers who thought they had purchased exercise content were told by Microsoft that it would no longer be available to download or access. This decision earned Microsoft criticism at the time, but given the relatively small user base, the story didn't get much traction. The quest to undermine consumer software ownership extends well beyond video games. As part of their effort to abuse copyright to monopolize repair, manufacturers like GM and Don Deere have long claimed consumers don't actually own the software in the vehicles and tractors they've spent thousands of dollars on. So I think that means that basically um, if they want to get it fixed, they have to go to the very expensive officially licensed John Deere and uh, but yeah it's it's not only happening in the video game world anything that uses computers or software which includes a lot of expensive big ticket items uh, they can try and pull the same stuff GM and John Deere there we are the trend of eroding consumer ownership post sale isn't just reserved to software hardware manufacturers routinely brick expensive electronics they no longer want to support or downgrade a video game console's functionality post-sale, again confusing customers who thought they owned a product only to suddenly discover post-purchase caveats. That reference downgrading a console's functionality, I, I clicked on that, it's about Sony uh, taking away the ability to use Linux on uh, the PS3. I won't go through the whole thing but it was a pretty shitty move, never used it myself for that but not cool for the people that did. They theorize that the company either doesn't want to pony up the cash to protect the integrity of consumer purchases, or it simply wants to force users to buy those same titles all over again. Or it could just be a pure economic calculus. The store costs more to maintain than it generates. If there are third-party titles, Nintendo might be unwilling to extend existing licensing agreements for those games. Or the decision might be related to some other platform or service Nintendo plans to roll out in the future that would otherwise compete with the Wii Store. When companies make it too difficult to, for consumers to get the content they want, or hell already own, users tend to flock to piracy. Studies have shown that the best way to counter this is to focus on innovation, like making content cheaper and easier to access. In this case, Nintendo is doing the exact opposite. The company made a habit of going after the largest illegal distributors of its old games recently, ROM sites. As we wrote back in August, when Nintendo took down some of the biggest ROM sites on the internet, many people, including game developers, lost the only way they could access these games. Nintendo is well within its legal rights to take down ROM sites, 
but as Chifaldi notes, this puts video game preservationists in a difficult situation. Right now, I can't legally add any of these games to our library, he said. There's no legal way of doing it. The fact that it's illegal to download these games hasn't stopped people from doing it. While the biggest ROM sites are gone and no clear alternative has popped up, it's still possible to find copies of all the games the weak virtual console offered on the internet. For an accurate historical record, the Internet Archive even has shots with all the icons, manuals, descriptions, so future generations could see what it looked like. I'm not worried about the complete absence of zeros of ones from the world. Piracy will always find a way. I'm just worried about everyday people being able to find and discover this stuff and be inspired by it. My big concerns with video games going away like this is they're not inspiring the artists of the future. Cefaldi, or is it Cefaldi? Oh no, one day. He notes that the work of Toby Fox, developer of the indie hit Undertale, is rooted in access to old games as are the developers of Sonic Mania, widely considered to be the first good Sonic game in years, who got their start making fan games by hacking ROMs. It was the backbone of a commercial product that was making a lot of money for the company. I don't know how well we'll make new art from old games. I don't know how we'll make new art from old games. Given the complicated nature of these debates, many users may not fully comprehend just how they're being screwed. It might seem like everything you bought from iTunes or Steam will be yours forever because Apple or Valve are too big to fail. But if those companies ever decide it's too expensive to let users download what they paid for, there's no guarantee you'll have access to your games. Keep in mind, and movies, keep in mind that the Wii wasn't some unknown failure of a device. It was a massive success, with over 100 million units sold, making it one of Nintendo's most popular consoles. The Wii U, which will be the new place to get the games once the Wii Store channel is gone, sold only 13 million units. There are potentially millions of Wii owners they could lose access to their games unless they transfer them to a Wii U. Which is not easy to get. They're around $600 on Amazon, and uh, they stopped making them three years ago. So other consumers may simply view such behavior as unavoidable. Unfortunately, I think consumers are starting to see these moves as inevitable, especially for sophisticated digital consumers like gamers. There's a growing sense that companies are likely to abuse their authority in ways that harm consumers. Whatever Nintendo's motivation, there's going to be plenty more behaviour where this came from from other industry giants. And regulators like the FTC should do a better job ensuring that companies live up to their promise when it comes to product ownership. Consumers need to do a better job fighting back as well. Consumers need to be vocal in their objections to these sort of bait-and-switch tactics. They need to develop a longer memory and vote with their wallets. These firms rely on consumers getting over their temporary outrage. Yeah, so don't be temporarily outraged, be permanently outraged at these horrible corporate monoliths that rent out their products to you for stupid amounts of money and then just yank them away just when you got to enjoy them. So yeah, I'm down with that. That's that's not a good uh, trend. So again, something else to keep an eye on. That's probably more relevant to me than the abstract evils that I'm hearing about in China even though they are real people with real problems it's not directly impacting my life whereas games that I pay for and can't play after a few months ooh, now getting personal yes, anyway, so that will do I think 41 minutes we'll knock this on the head there's a quick article here about Pat Oswalt. Um, he changed a man's life after the dude trolled him on Twitter he said something horrible. Basically, they've, they've dropped that because <laughs> it was really a dick move. And it's just like, oh, why are you still alive? Or some typical troll kind of tweet. And Patton just said, 
Oh man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter. And I joked back, but then I looked at his timeline and he's in a lot of trouble, health-wise. I'd be pissed too. He's been dealt some shitty cards. Let's steal him some good ones. Click and donate, just like I'm about to. He apparently put in like $2,000 himself towards the man's $5,000 goal. And his followers quickly pushed him out, donated to over 31000 at the time of writing. Which was five days ago. <laughs> that helps. That's how they do that. They just put five days ago. So I'm guessing like the end of January. But yeah, so that was a way to do it. And the guy eventually responded. He said, I want to thank everyone who came to my aid. And also to Pat Oswalt, without whom I would not be the recipient of so much love and support. I'm not a man who ever cries, but I had to wait to send this. And to quote Stuart on Big Bang, meet tonight? Yeah, and then he's, he's posted again. Like that was Pat Oswalt retweeted that saying, see, this is why compassion and forgiveness are the best. Wait, you cried? You fucking pussy. Donation cancelled. So obviously joking there, but beautiful man. After losing his wife of so many years uh, himself, to still be able to reach out and put so much love back into the Twittersphere and the world, uh, yeah, we need more men like him. But that should do. That's episode 43 of Solid 60. I'll be back soon because it's already a new week and another one is due. They seem to creep up on me like that. Why did I make them weekly? But either way, I hope you got through this and had as much fun as I did. And I'll see you soon. Peace out.